This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. to you all and welcome to the Arty Farty Show once again. Although I must say there's going to be a wee bit different today. Uh, Andy is not here, uh, so uh, sorry uh, that you won't hear his sylvan tones. Uh, but in his place today we've got uh, Julie Woods, that blind woman. Good morning everybody. Good morning Julie. <laughs> And uh, what I'd like to say is that uh, we've uh, decided to take a little bit of a different slant today. It's still about art, of course, uh, because uh, and also uh, art, the um, art zone is going to be uh, part of it uh, because we've involved uh, Andy and Art Zone in a project that uh, Julie and I have been involved in, which is a book uh, by the name of Why Not. And uh, Julie, can you tell us uh, a little bit, a little touch about why not? You forgot to tell them we're married. Oh, well, that would be a good idea. Okay. Uh, that's why we're so, so much in sync. <laughs> why not is my catchphrase that I began using when I went blind. I was asked to go cross-country skiing uh, a long time ago. I went blind in 1997 and a couple of years later I got asked to go cross-country skiing and by a recreation advisor at Blind Low Vision NZ I politely declined and turned down the opportunity, sat on my couch and thought you stupid woman what kind of blind person are you going to make if you turn down opportunities that come your way? So from that moment on, uh, rather than say no, I said why not to things that came my way and it led on to me saying why not to many little things such as do you want to go for a walk at the weekend, do you want to learn to touch type, to many big things such as do you want to learn braille and do you want to go to Paris for Louis Braille's 200th birthday bash and that's the response um, that I gave and as a result have written a book based on that response called Why Not? Uh, what a blind woman said to do you want to referee a game of new touch rugby and more yes well it's uh, it's been a wonderful exercise i must say and uh you know uh, the uh, whole idea of why not actually how did that uh, come about julie the uh, the book you mean yes well, well yeah. no i think probably uh the uh, the idea of saying why not uh, to uh, anything at all. When, how did that begin? I've just explained that, honey. Oh, did you? And clearly you weren't listening. Oh, well. I what? hope our listeners heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I've just well, told that bit. Yes, uh, husbands, generally speaking, <laughs> apparently have a reputation right, of not, well, not listening well, to their wives. Well, let's move on, shall we? To, yes, to, okay. Let's just sort of flow on. Yes. I think probably the next part of the story, Ron, is around the illustrations, which is why we're talking about this book on the Arty Farty show this morning, because I thought when I wrote the book, wouldn't it be great to have the book illustrated by my husband? Oh, isn't yeah, that lovely? So we, he agreed, but there's probably a bit more to it than that, but finally, let's just say he agreed, <laughs> and we went about... Uh, describe. I we touched on the scenes that we thought might like to be illustrated in the book, and then you set about 
doing the illustrations. And I remember one Friday afternoon we're in the studio, uh, which you have in Jetty Street, and uh, I was down one end and you were down the other, and you started doing the illustrations and you said, what colour hair would you have? Mm-hmm. And I said, pink, of course. Yes. So all the illustrations of that blind woman in the book are pink. The book begins in the hospital waiting room back in 1997. So, Ron, maybe you might like to describe the illustration that you used at the beginning. That's a, a picture. Some of uh, the listeners may be familiar with this scene if you've ever been to the eye department at Dunedin Public Hospital. Sitting in the waiting room, there is a, an illustration that Ron did of mm. my mother and I. And, of course, uh, uh, I've, as I've been to the waiting room many times, you have. Uh, I would have to say that um, uh, I was taken with the idea of a lot of people having to wait with sort of kind of blank looks on their faces, possibly because they've been waiting there for a while. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what we have in this illustration. And uh, all, one, one person's reading um, a newspaper, uh, and Julie's mother is with her, and Julie's there with her pink hair, of course. And um, there's a, a book, uh, a magazine that uh, Julie's mother, she would t- take the opportunity to read things from a magazine to uh, while away the time uh, before, before they saw the uh, specialist. As you can imagine, it was a it's a difficult place to be sitting in the waiting room because part of you wants your name to be called and the other part doesn't. <laughs> so there's this, you know, it's conflict within yourself. I think within mum and both of us, really, we were both in that situation and she would often read bits from the magazine really just to distract us and, and she uh, loves cooking and so do I. So very often it would be the recipe. It was just, as I say, total distraction therapy to what was about to come next and that day of course it was the declaration that I w- wouldn't see again uh, the little um, uh, part of the book by the way is um, uh, I, as I step back I reach for my mother's arm she guides me to an empty chair in the waiting room packed full of people much older than me mum picks up a magazine and reads bits out to me while we wait we talk about not much all the time sitting there i'm feeling overwhelmed and powerless i have no idea of how i'm going to cope i can't decide whether i want the nurse to call out my name or whether i want to hear someone else's name called out finally my name is called out and i leave the safety of the uh, waiting room chair i stand up ready myself for my next step but my inner voice cries out for the nurse where the heck are you did you, do you remember that time, Julie? Yeah, I do. That, I mean, that was quite often, Ron, mm-hmm. actually, because still to this day people think that I can see. Mm. Even nurses at the hospital um, don't always understand that I'm totally blind. So they would, if you stood up and start moving, they'd expect you to keep moving. <laughs> it was a difficult thing to communicate and, and quite harrowing, actually, when I, when I look back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The next chapter, Ron, is around asking for help. Oh, yes. And that's an illustration where I learn how to use my white cane with orientation and mobility instructor Nancy. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that um, illustration. Like, I guess the fact that we have the white cane, uh, I think I'm blindfolded in that picture. Uh, this is chapter... The next one, honey. Oh, okay. I might be t- one after, I think actually. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. You, yeah, so, sorry, you. we'll go back to the... Yeah, that's cool. So we're going to uh, the one... Oh, yes, where Julie reads an eye chart. In fact... Um, okay, well, that's a different one, but that's cool. Oh, which one are you thinking of? The asking for help. Oh. Um. The... It's okay. Just t- show me what, tell me one you can see and we'll just talk about that. Well, um, uh, oh yes, here's the one asking for help. I've got it, I've got it. Uh, and there we are. There's Julie. And uh, Julie has her uh, instructor, Nancy, looking kind of, oh, I don't know, very watchful and um, 
uh, sort of with a little bit of trepidation as uh, Julie strikes out on her own uh, with a white cane. Uh, and uh, I don't know, you've got a blindfold on, is that to make sure you can't see anything? That's right. <laughs> because when I first went blind, I could see a little bit, and I was having a lesson about crossing the road. And of course, if it's dark, I couldn't see anything. But in the daytime, I could see a little bit to uh, avoid me uh, or to stop me from using that little bit of residual sight the instructor blindfolds you and actually I remember crossing the road at that moment I was to cross the road and go straight across to the other side but with the blindfold on I actually I was veering to the right and I had no idea that I veered to the right and I ended up in the diagonally opposite corner which is quite um, what's a great lesson because I wasn't walking straight I was walking to the right which is not helpful as Julie says I can't believe it I listen to every word Nancy says from that moment on just because I ask for help doesn't mean I always get it uh, she says that the government uh, for domestic uh, we asked the government for domestic support and we don't get it after undertaking a rigorous needs assessment by a local agency they determined that indeed we do need help so uh, uh, that's uh, something that um, makes it much more difficult uh, because you think golly I'm on my uh, um, feel I'm on my own and uh, in, mo- in many places that I reach out, I, I can't get any help. Well, government organisations have this thing called criteria, and very often you don't meet the criteria, so you don't get the help. That was that happened a lot. Yes, and it's that that really is one of the hardest things about being blind. It's not being not being not able to see. It's not getting the support that you need for your blindness and that's why I loved Blind Low Vision NZ because they provided all the vision rehab services to me Uh, because I met their vision criteria I was able to get access to help learning how to pour a cup of tea, butter a piece of bread and put jam on it I was able to learn how to use my white cane. Nancy came up and taught me and many, many other things which um, unfold as, as you go through the book. Yes, yeah. Um, so where does that take us, Julie? Which Would you like to pick out another illustration, Ron? Well, I think this is the beginning of you um, uh, really starting to find the new Julie Woods. And uh, that is uh, those bloody truffles. Mm. Uh, tell us about that. Well, we couldn't write. A, I couldn't write a book without including those bloody truffles. When I went blind, if I didn't remember the recipe, I didn't bake it, and the truffle recipe was something that I had in my head, and I just kept making it and making it and making it. I added licorice to them, then I dipped them in chocolate, so they evolved throughout uh, the first couple of years of being blind and I felt sure that when people saw me coming with my plate of truffles again everybody would say there's Julie with those bloody truffles again (laughs) (laughs) but indeed it was me in the end that said not those bloody truffles again and I've been making them making them making them ever since and Ron you have done this beautiful illustration of me making those truffles Indeed, and uh, it is, of course, a very happy-looking Julie, actually. (laughs) And uh, that happy-looking Julie has a uh, plastic bowl uh, with a spoon in it, and uh, the truffles are, I think they're made of crushed biscuits, and uh, then coated in chocolate, and boy, do people like them. Uh, And in fact... uh, uh, Julie uh, discovered that this was a great way to um, uh, connect with people and that was sort of the beginning of getting out of that rut that, that you had found yourself in and actually I think we might have got a little song here uh, by um, High Society which is I've got to get out of this rut <laughs> Quick, I've got to get out of this rut. I'm not an operator slick, haven't got a confidence trick. I've got to get out of this rut. You could be my honey, wouldn't it be funny if I could buy you anything and everything the money brings? Nothing. 
And that's what, where we were. We had to get out of that rut and start looking at uh, life afresh, uh, life where you begin to appreciate that uh, uh, you, you're blind and that you just have to make the adjustments. Julie, in what ways uh, did you start to get the, um, the, joy, uh, the joy of life uh, while you were a new blind person? I think just listening to you then, Ron, the joy began when I learnt that I didn't have to be able to see to do things, that I just had to learn how to use my other senses, so my smell, hear, taste and touch. And that illustration of me cooking the truffles is a beautiful one of that because it is joyous and it's totally based in the principles of smelling, hearing, tasting and touching, which is how I navigate my way around the kitchen. You know, the sound of the biscuits going into the food processor, the smell of the butter as it melts, the the smell of the cocoa powder as you lift the container, using those senses to then go on and create something. That, that's a joyous thing. So being being stuck is right, Ron. It's horrible being stuck and being paralysed. And I was trapped in this body that I, I didn't know how to operate in this new way but when I did and that came through doing rehabilitation with Blind Low Vision NZ and having the adaptive daily living instructors come into my kitchen then once that happened it was like a switch really right okay switch off seeing switch on smelling hearing tasting touching well of course and um, uh, perhaps we should uh, look at the book why not and uh, consider that the the illustrations that you were uh, telling me about uh, or at least you're telling the people on on the air about uh, and uh, each one of course has relevance uh, for various stages uh, but what we're uh, looking forward to is uh, an exhibition which is coming up uh, at uh, today to Today, exactly, yeah. yes, Saturday at the Robert Piggott Art Gallery. The 27th of November. Right. 2021. And it, and it runs through to the 30th. And there you will get the, uh, you're going to get the opportunity of seeing all the um, uh, paintings the, uh, that we uh, used for the illustrations. And they're actually going to be for sale. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, fortunately they're very uh, presentable because thanks to uh, my colleague Andy uh, from uh, uh, Art Zone, uh, they have uh, done all the uh, uh, framing in um, mounting. M- uh, mounting. That's it. Uh, mounting. That's right, Julie. Um, she knows all the terms, <laughs> uh, and uh, they they will be on display and for sale. Uh, and also the book, of course, will be uh, available. Um, so the book is called Why Not? Uh, and uh, uh, there's a picture on the front which I might uh, allude to. Uh, is a game of nude touch rugby, which uh, might uh, set you back at the moment thinking about that. Uh, and uh, Julie is, in fact... The referee for a, uh, for in fact, she was a referee for a number of games of uh, blind, uh, of nude touch rugby, and uh, she's holding up a pink card, which is the worst possible thing you can be delivered uh, when you are uh, uh, playing uh, nude touch rugby. Uh, that really uh, shows that you've done something bad. But what is it? What's the equivalent in in sighted rugby, Julie? I don't think we have it. Um, it was really for for a. Day for the nude game, Ron, mm. actually. It was for infringements of the naked variety. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, there were some. Yes, there were. <laughs> yes, that, uh, those games of uh, nude touch rugby were held often when there's a test match in uh, Dunedin, and they were held all over Dunedin. Once they were held at the uh, Caledonian ground and uh, the uh, Logan Park and University on the beach. The Oval. Yes. The illustration that you're alluding to there on is the game that I refereed in 2004 between the Nude Blacks and England, and you're right, they do play the Nude Touch Rugby before an All Blacks Test match when it's played in Dunedin, and I was working at Blind Low Vision NZ as their Braille Awareness Consultant, and I got a phone call on a Friday afternoon asking me what I was doing tomorrow by one of the local fundraisers. I said, uh, why? And she said, do you want to referee a game of nude touch rugby? To which I thought, what will my mother say? How would a blind person do that? And then I just said, why not? Yes, well done. And that just came out. And And of course, I found myself the next day uh, on the beach and... Middle Beach in Dunedin with you know a group of a, a naked men and a guide to help me get around the field and Ralph Davies who organised the match uh, behind me telling me when to blow the whistle and uh, which card to put up. It's absolute theatre. It's mm. absolute fun and it's given me three of the greatest moments of my life <laughs> refereeing new touch rugby because it's well you mentioned joy before Ron it's just total joy and I'm sure you've painted it in the same way well yes I think so I've managed to uh, uh, illustrate two naked uh, uh, men uh, fighting over a football and um, Julie with her card up in the air and uh, how you do that without uh, uh, um, offending people uh, was uh, the uh, obstacle that I had to overcome but I said why not (laughs) and so I managed to put a a, a carefully placed hand in the right area so that uh, it was uh, seemly and the rest is left to the imagination indeed which is all great artworks what they do isn't it (laughs) that's right (laughs) it was uh, fabulous and yeah, it was great. It was great. And uh, in fact, you're embracing uh, the a lifestyle of why not has been great. And, uh, the, uh, and the journey has been great because you had to learn Braille. Uh, well, actually, Ron, I didn't have to. Oh, tell me about that. I was asked when my first husband left and... I was tired of the negativity that had surrounded my life up until that moment and I got asked by one of the staff members at Blind Low Vision and said, do you want to learn Braille? I didn't actually say why not straight away. I remember having a conversation with mum and thinking, saying to her, do you think it's worth it? And then I said to myself, well, we'll find out by doing, won't we? 
I did come back and say why not and of course it was one of the best why nots I said have ever said because it um, put me on a pathway of great learning and great opportunity. Well, that's uh, and of course um, the other thing often people say how how can a, a blind woman be uh, uh, the wife of an artist? Mm, it yep. seems such an odd uh, uh, relationship. How do you see that, Julie? Well, I you have a great way of describing visual images. You're like my personal audio describer, Ron. (laughs) And, I mean, that's a great thing. It it, it sounds funny, but because I can't see it, you can describe it, and that's what you do beautifully, not just with your words, but with your illustrations as well. Well, that's a great compliment, and uh, uh, those illustrations, as I say, can be uh, seen today uh, and this weekend at uh, Rob Piggott's uh, Gallery. And uh, Rob Piggott's Gallery is, I'm about to tell you where it is, it's at uh, number 8 Jetty Street, Dunedin. And uh, you can ring uh, Julie or I if you want to know more about that, because uh, uh, we'll be there, of course, or we are there. Right? 10 till 4, yes. Saturday and Sunday, 12 till 2, Monday and Tuesday. It's a four-day pop-up exhibition, because we have actually tried to put this exhibition on twice before, and we've been thwarted by COVID-19. We've we've decided to go for third time lucky. So we're very grateful to Rob Piggott, and of course we're also uh, grateful to Andy Cook and Art Zone, uh, because uh, I get all my materials from Art Zone paper and paint and brushes, and uh, that's uh, probably well for me it's the best place to to get my supplies uh, in Dunedin. And uh, Andy, of course, he advised us as to the way the mounts were to be done. And uh, he did a very professional job, as he always does. And that is uh, something that is, uh, you know, settles our uncertainty, if there is any uncertainty. (laughs) That's come from the artist, not from the blind woman. That's right. (laughs) It's exciting to be able to get them on the wall. And yes, Andy has done a great job, and he he does a great job at framing too. So if anyone does purchase an artwork from the exhibition, uh, the logical um, framer, would be to take it to Andy. Now, the, the um, uh, it's one of the first things you encountered uh, was Christmas, which of course is uh, uh, knocking on our doors at the moment. And uh, uh, you uh, would have had your first blind Christmas, and that's one of the chapters in the book. And uh, there's a an illustration of uh, Julie actually perched rather precariously on a stool. Now you imagine what that's like if you're blind, and her job after having decorated the uh, the tree with Baz, her uh, youngest boy, uh, she is now just putting the angel on the top of the tree, perched precariously on this uh, stool, four-legged stool, thank goodness, and uh, Baz is watching again. There's a lot of people that watch with trepidation, Julie, but <laughs> they don't need to, do they? <laughs> I don't. I don't realise they watch with trepidation. <laughs> And I remember when I <clears throat> became a single blind parent and had to change the light bulb uh, for whatever reason. I remember the stepping on the piano stool in the hallway and it wasn't quite high enough to reach. So I went and got a pair of high heels and that helped. <laughs> People probably watch with trepidation then. That tree, Ron, is the first Christmas I spent as single blind Santa. Ah, in 2001 wow. when Mark left us one of the things or the hmm, what how shall I say the arguments we used to have was around a real Christmas tree so when he left I was determined to have a real Christmas tree and I walked up to our local garage in Maori Hill and bought a tree for $10, threw it over my shoulder and carried it back to Lothian Street where we lived. Sebastian, or Baz as he's known, is my youngest son and he absolutely loves and adores Christmas. I wanted to do it for both of us really and he that illustration depicts the love of Christmas he has and my determination to get the tree and and for us to decorate it. As Jodie described in the book, systematically I untangle the lights with my touch 
and decorate the tree, blowing up gold balloons and ironing the white fabric bows. The tree is taller than I remember trees to be, so I, I put on the highest pair of heels I own and climb up on a stool to be able to reach the top. Only then can I place the angel where it belongs. Would you like to come in and see our tree? Baz asks all the visitors who come to our front door over Christmas. So that uh, was an endorsement of uh, your uh, your work, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was lovely. You know, yes. the door front doorbell would go and he'd open it, and that's that was literally the first words he would say. He, he's grown up to be a great fan of snow globes. <laughs> yes, isn't he? <laughs> and when, whenever we've travelled, we've bought snow globes back uh, for him. Well, I'm sure that that Christmas. Uh, uh, unlike the other ones where you did all the work yourself with the boys that would have been uh, you would have had a beautiful day and a beautiful evening and I'm going to get high society to to uh, play what a beautiful evening Jolly well done. Thank you, High Society. And uh, we've had many beautiful he- evenings from then on, haven't we, Julie? Of course, uh, uh, some some evenings might have been better for you because I remember when you uh, uh, started training to do a half marathon. So you must have said why not to somebody for that. Well, that started with do you want to go walking at the weekend? And then... It carried on, really. Do you want to do a 10K at the Masters Games? 
do you want to do the Papadawai challenge? And the next logical question was, do you want to walk a half marathon? And I began walking with my friend and guide, Joe. Stoddart, we had been in the same antenatal class and had babies together and become friends and then when I went blind we began walking around the block together at the weekend and really it's a friendship that's grown and of course the walking challenges have grown too. The first half marathon was in 2001 and yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, it's very good. Um, <laughs> Gone on to do 10 more, Ron, so yeah, it, that was the beginning of it. Tell me about the illustration. Well, the illustration is uh, you and Joe, uh, and uh, Joe is guiding you, Julie, uh, and you have, um, in order to maintain your uh, appropriate uh, position, uh, you have a little, uh, I don't know, what do you call the little thing? Rope. T- a rope, but a rope that... Uh, Six-inch rope. And uh, Julie holds uh, uh, one end of it, and uh, Joe walks along with the uh, rope uh, in her in her left hand. So Julie, uh, J- Joe with, her, um, with the rope in her left hand, and Julie with the rope on her right hand. That's right. And uh, then off they go. And in fact, we said, what a beautiful evening. It was a mild September morning that day, and uh, they were 15 minutes ahead of the pack, which was... Uh, arranged by the organisers so that uh, they got plenty of freedom to get away from the melee at the beginning of the uh, race and uh, then uh, of course uh, some people were passing you but not all of them it was amazing how uh, you really did uh, 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 do a good job on that uh, half marathon well Joe and I both decide it doesn't matter where you finish or cross the line so long as you do cross the line we've always taken that philosophy (laughs) and it doesn't matter whether we're near the back of the bunch or where the fact that we've done it is the is our victory and of course as I said we went on to to do nine more and to do 10 Papadawai challenges so it's, it's been a great thing it's been great to be part of a community event I think mm. that's what I really liked about the half marathons and the Papadawai challenges it's doing something in partnership and it's getting out and it's being healthy and active and in the script uh, of the book you say that the next day after the uh, first half marathon the effects of long and hard workout were felt by both of uh, Joe and I but the biggest impact of the race is my friend Joe discovering that she has gone blind oh no that is what is reported as they mix up our names by mistake in our local paper so when Joe opens her morning read the next day she discovers she's now a blind woman <laughs> fortunately for Joe a friendly phone call to the newspaper with a correction in the following day's edition instantly reverses her blindness uh, which is the way uh, we'd all like to see it perhaps but um, uh, the uh, they of course realize their mistake and think and we thank them for uh, correcting it and then of course uh, from that then on more and more questions were asked of Julie and uh, that was when she got do you want to do the Papadawai challenge after they'd seen her do the marathon and the answer was why not? Yeah, and then do you want to do the Cadbury Half Marathon again this year? Why not? Yeah, and so on. This is the <laughs> fittest she had ever been in her whole life. And what a wonderful uh, result from uh, a situation where Julie was sitting on the couch wondering if she could go out her front door, and here she is now uh, uh, walking a half marathon. It's counterintuitive, isn't it, really? You don't think, oh, I'm going blind, um, I'll be able to get fit well it's not what you think how it's going to go is it no you're, you're right no yeah, so that, I mean that's the great surprise of adversity uh, you know amazing things can happen thing, unexpected things and I guess that's the the triumph of why not as well if you're open to the opportunities that come your way then great things can happen and of course um, you were not entirely alone you met other uh, people who were blind that were um, finding their own ways uh, to adjust to a new regime Uh, well in fact that's right Ron and that that was the great thing about going blind but before I was blind I was partially sighted for 13 years and I didn't belong anywhere, I didn't belong in the world of the blind, I didn't belong in the world of the sighted, I was in this no man's land in the middle 
ironically going blind moved me towards a group of people who are now like me and that was other blind people and I met other blind people who were doing the things that I thought I couldn't. I met a blind woman who could read with her fingers, I met a blind man who ran marathons, I met a blind woman who used a chainsaw and the illustration that you're about to share is the blind man that I met who mowed his lawn with one shoe on and one shoe off so he could tell where he'd mowing. And what a character uh, Jock was. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jock um, is illustrated here with a nice smooth uh, piece of grass. He's just uh, been mowing with a motor mower and he's got uh, a bare foot as his uh, right uh, leg uh, fills the area that he's... Uh, mode and uh, he's got um, uh, uh, a shoe uh, one just one shoe on and you can see the area that he's yet to mow and uh, just incredible that uh, that can be done uh, in fact you could say almost anything uh, can be done he actually uh, planted and grew vegetables and looked after a very large garden at his house in the, in the country and um, that was uh, just an, uh, you know a uh, what is it? You find the means, don't you? You just say, right, I'm going to do it. All I've got to do now is find out how to do it. Absolutely. That's a, you know, vision loss is an attitude, and it's about the attitude that you bring to it. And really, there isn't too much that blind people can't do apart from fly planes and automo, auto, auto, what are, automobiles. <laughs> forgotten how to say it and I mean that's going to change well you know uh, <laughs> when uh, uh, Julie heard of this uh, jock uh, doing his uh, lawns she said now look here jock um, as, as she whispered into his giant ears you can't let this information out well why not Julie he asked a little bemused well my family don't think I can mow the lawns and quite frank frankly I'd like it to stay that way <laughs> absolutely <laughs> gosh was there nothing I could not get out of ironing and mowing the lawns <laughs> that's right <laughs> doesn't now, seem fair I'm going to try uh, uh, a track here it may not work folks so bear with me
Well, some of you might remember, might uh, recognise the voice of Ringo Starr. And he has a lovely album uh, which is called Why Not? And that's the reason that we've played that track. It's called Filling the Blanks, and that's what we have to do uh, and what Julie and all her blind uh, colleagues have to do is fill in the blanks. And, and interestingly enough, Ron... There's that moment when you get asked something and there is a blank and I've learnt to fill in the blank with why not. <laughs> That's good, Julie. The, um, uh, just to want to remind everybody, uh, if, as if I haven't told you already, that today uh, is the opening of the uh, exhibition at Robert Pickett Art Gallery in Dunedin and 8 Jetty Street. And uh, the, um, uh, the exhibition is a... Is a uh, a display of the illustrations for the book by Julie Woods, which is called Why Not? And you've heard all about why. Uh, we say why not rather than why. Is that the right thing to say? And the exhibition is uh, uh, today through to the 30th, the 27th to the 30th of November, uh, Saturday and Sunday uh, between 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock. And uh, uh, on Monday and Tuesday are open from 12 until 2 uh, on both those days. So the weekend's uh, a very good time to come down uh, to 8 Jetty Street in Dunedin. And uh, look at this uh, um, interesting exhibition and look at the book as well, which uh, Julie will have on sale. What what? Twenty dollars for the book, and also, Ron, we've got Christmas cards that you can get your own name or somebody else's name written in braille on them, with the illustration that you've just so beautifully described this morning with Baz watching me put the angel on the tree. So we've got Christmas cards, Christmas tags, names in braille, all the illustrations from the book. You can contact me, Julie, at thatblindwoman.co.nz, or o two one. 913513 or you can visit my website thatblindwoman.co.nz but come down, we'd love to see you Now these uh, paintings are the original paintings uh, I think it's important that we point that out and they're professionally framed or mounted by uh, uh, Andy Cook from Art Zone uh, and uh, they uh, oh, I think they're A4 size but they're a bit bigger than that when they're in the mount uh, so uh, I think you'll enjoy going just to have a look. And um, are they all the same price, Judy? They may. Most of them are three hundred. Right. Okay. That's pretty good. Uh, it's not pretty good. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> what you're giving them away, Julie? This is <laughs> so this cheap. Is a charity. <laughs> right. So it's a lovely gallery down there. If you haven't been there, well, give yourself the opportunity of going down. It's on the left hand side of Jetty Street as you're going down, and it's just called the Rob Piggott Gallery, just like that. And thank you, Rob, so much for putting this on, and uh, thank you, uh, Andy Cook, of course, for your. Uh, generosity and uh, expertise in uh, in um, matting these uh, paintings for us uh, I think we've also got a few um what have we got? Oh, yeah, we've got some uh, Braille art there as well. So uh, that'll be uh, in another part of the gallery. And so there's plenty to see down there. Julie, uh, thank you very much for uh, coming along and uh, doing this joint uh, exercise uh, on the Arty Farty Show. I'd like to uh, thank you very much for coming along and being so eloquent. <laughs> Thank you, Ron, for giving me the opportunity to say why not right. to coming to talk with you on your wonderful show. Thank you very much. We'll close with a bit of music. OK, here we go. Last night I had a peace dream. You know how real dreams can be. The world was a better place. Thank you. 
All of this is coming true It's really up to all of us to do Just like John Lennon said In Amsterdam This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.